take your Bibles and turn to Genesis. And uh, uh, our purpose was not to do the whole book verse by verse, but uh, the, the main the main part of the book, <clears throat> the beginning of the book. And I want you to go to chapter 12. For well, First of all, I want to do something else before we get to chapter 12. I want to bring up something that I had not, it had not fully dawned on me, and probably not you as well, but Abraham is our father, is our spiritual father. And I didn't fully realize that the Bible just flat says that, and uh, certainly hints at it, and we'll, we'll talk about it by looking at some key verses. So before we go to Genesis, go to, to the book of Romans, and chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, I need to take a... Little pill here, Genesis four. Pardon me, Romans four. <clears throat> Romans chapter four, <clears throat> starting at verse thirteen. <clears throat> the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. Heir of the world. Look at that. I mean, I, I read that a hundred times, but never realized the impact of that statement. The heir of the world. Uh, Abraham is the heir of the world. Not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That is, trusting in God, whatever God says in Old Testament, now you come to New Testament, he sets forth his son, and we look at that, that what he says about his son, through the righteousness of faith, we get this righteousness as Abraham did in chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 6. You need to memorize that passage. Genesis 15, 6. That's where he trusted God and God saw his faith as righteousness, as righteousness. He is heir of the world, not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by, this, this is the point being made, that comes by faith. For of if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. Faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. What an incredible statement. Do you all realize it? And you know what's interesting is that is it on Sunday morning we're dovetailing uh, from Romans right here with what we're doing here on, on, on Monday nights with Genesis and we're seeing things and so I'm seeing things that I've translated and looked at for many times but never impacted me as it is right now. We have a connection with the Jewish people that is because of and through uh, Abraham. Uh, and I don't think that Christians understand this. In fact, I think Satan has done a number on us to try to disconnect us from, from the Jewish people. <clears throat> For the law brings about wrath. That is a person who says, I'm going, to get, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a law keeper. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that. And so wrath will come, not blessing. You only get to heaven by faith, not by, not by law keeping. The wrath, the wrath comes by law keeping because you can't do it. You can't earn your way to, to heaven. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it is by faith or trust or belief that it might be in accordance with grace. And what does grace mean? It means to give, to give, to give. Uh, God gives to us by grace. 
we come by faith that His grace goes into operation uh, and we're blessed by, by grace. It's in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Jews, but also of those who are of faith, are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And he's not talking about just the Jews. He's the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. He's the father of us all. Again, the issue is faith. Uh, that's the connection. Uh, well, I'm not a physical descendant of Abraham, as far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood, but by faith, we are related to Abraham. Then he goes on and he says um, in verse 17, as it is written, uh, as it is written, he, uh, Paul says that to make a connection with what he's just said with this verse. He's going to quote, A father of many nations have I made you. A father of many nations. Us sitting here in Clifton. We're Gentiles. We're part of the nations. A father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now Paul is there is, is using the fact that uh, Abraham's loins were dead. He could have no children. Uh, and his, his first son through the handmaiden, remember, through uh, Hagar, uh, he was 90, he was 100 when uh, Isaac was born. Ishmael, uh, he conceived uh, Ishmael when he was around 90, 100 when Isaac was conceived. And so God caused that which was dead in his loins to come alive. Here's an old man who now God miraculously brought forth uh, children through him. Uh, now go to Genesis 17. Let's make the connection. Genesis 17 and uh, verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis 17, 1. I hope this thrills your gizzard like it does mine because this is very important. We do have this connection with the Jewish people. We do. Uh, and and, and uh, I think most Christians, in fact, most Christians push the Jewish people away. There is a disdain for the Jewish people. A dislike. And unfortunately, it came through uh, Luther. Luther just really, he, he fouled, uh, fouled up the water. Uh, he, uh, he thought that... Uh, when he broke away with the Catholic Church, that the Jews would, would come to Christ uh, because uh, they would, would not be connected with the Catholic Church. They didn't. And because of that, Luther just turned against them and just like a, just like a mad dog. And that, that brought a, 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 an attitude of the German people that uh, they did not get rid of until World War II. <laughs> and, they, and God really did a number on them because of their, of their hatred if you will, of the Jewish people. So look at Genesis 17, verses 1 through 5. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. That could be translated, I'm the satisfier. The satisfier. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Exceedingly. Here he's going to be pushing on 100. 
And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, a father of a multitude of nations. He is our spiritual father by faith. Not by physical, but by faith. He is our spiritual father. He's the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means high father, but your name will be Abraham, father of a multitude. That's what Abraham means. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Notice he says it twice here in verses 4 and 5. Twice. Is that not trying to get something across to us tonight? Twice. Now, I dare say that many of you in this room, especially if you've not maybe taught Sunday school or, or, or read Genesis very much, uh, have not thought of this. We've not, and I, I would say every church in Clifton has not thought of the fact that there is a relationship between the churches, and I mean the people in the churches, who are believers, and Abraham. You can go from church after church in Clifton or Waco or Dallas. This is not being stated. This is not being taught. And don't hold your hand up. But if I ask you to hold your hand, probably everybody in this room would agree with that. Say, you're right. I never heard this. I never thought about this. These verses are not here just to fill paper. They are here because this is an important, important, important truth. I will make you the father of a multitude of of nations. Now I want to review the Abrahamic covenant again. We talked about it last week. Go to Genesis 12 and the first of three verses. Genesis 12. This forms the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, I've had so many blessings. Please excuse me for talking about them. Hope I don't bore you. Or, uh, uh, but uh, 1962 I took the, took the advanced graduate course on prophecy with Dr. Pentecost Yes, that was, that's his name, Dr. J. Joint Pentecost. And his book, uh, Things to Come, had just come out. And uh, it had just been, been published. And so, guess what? Of course, we use that for the textbook of the course. And uh, the book is thick. It's uh, probably two and a half, maybe even three inches thick. Well, we only covered in the class the first... 60 pages. And I remember going up to Dr. Pentecost as we were coming to the end of the course. I said, Dr. Pentecost, we haven't gotten to all these other passages on prophecy that are in your book. He said, I know it. He said, if you know the first 60 pages and you understand the Abrahamic covenant, that's what the first 60 pages were about, you don't need to know the rest. Because it'll all unfold if you understand the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what we focused on. And, and for, for years after that, I had a course called Walk Through the Bible in which I covered the Abrahamic covenant. And I probably did um, possibly over a 10-year period, maybe. I probably did 50 to 60, maybe more, of those courses in, in homes. <laughs> Uh, uh, the people would gather in their homes and I'd do the courses. I never had one person, not one, and probably several thousand, had one course in, in Austin with 400 people. Never had one of them 
deny dispensationalism or the Abrahamic covenant. And these people were covenant theologians. They, they not, did not believe what I was teaching originally. But if I could get them at the starting point, the starting gate, which is here in chapter 12, and they would see the unfolding of the Abrahamic covenant, they couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny it. And they all changed from, the, from what's called covenant theology to dispensationalism overnight. Not one of them ever questioned after I got them into that study. Because the Bible begins here and unfolds from here. If you understand the Abrahamic Covenant, then you can understand the rest of the Bible. Dr. Pentecost was absolutely right. Uh, he was funny. Uh, in those days, uh, teachers at Dallas Seminary didn't make very much, and he would sit up at his desk, and he'd put his feet up on the desk, and he had big holes in his shoes, about that big, because he didn't have a lot of money. And he would just ask questions. That's all he would do. All right, Mr. Couch, what about the da 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 What about this and da 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 and you better better be ready to answer. He was a very uh, strict kind of guy. No no fun in games. Uh, but he just asked questions. And it was, of course, a great way for, to teach. But look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, here's the, out, the laying forth of the Abrahamic covenant, go forth from your country. Now here's Abram's at Haran now. Remember, he went from Ur with his father down to Haran. His father died at Haran. And the family packed up and came down to the Holy Land. So he's leaving Haran. Go from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. Every day, every day, every day, we take Time Magazine or watching television, uh, watching uh, news programs. Every day, there's something about the land. Every day, there's something about the land. Can you can you believe it? Here's a little people, seven, seven, eight million people. And every day in the news, there's something about it, about them. And the pastors here in Clifton don't even catch it. They don't get it. If that's not spiritual blindness, I don't know what it is. I don't know what you'd call it. Spiritual blindness. Every every church in this area. The people are being hoodwinked. And I don't think I'm falling short of this. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I don't think the pastors understand these verses, the implication of the land. And remember, the core of the land is the size of Dallas-Fort Worth. That's at the core. It's, it spreads out a little further beyond that. But the core is Dallas-Fort Worth. One of my trips to Israel... I got a rent car. I left about 4.30 in the morning, it was summer, and the sun was coming up. I left to Jerusalem, went downhill. Remember, Jerusalem was 1,200 feet above sea level. I went down 1,200 feet below sea level. That's 2,400 feet. Downhill to the Dead Sea, up the Jordan Valley. Always have to stop at Jericho and get a big cold glass of fruit, uh, grapefruit juice from the, from the Arab uh, uh, trees. They have a whole... Uh, uh, orange and grapefruit uh, 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 trees there. On up the Jordan River, uh, up to the to the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, down the coast, down the coast uh, to Tel Aviv, and from Tel Aviv, now then the sun's starting to set, back to Jerusalem to the motel in one day. Covered the core of the land in one day. One day. Um, on one of the trips that I was on, I, I took a tour 
And very often when I had a tour group, I would stand at the front of the bus with a microphone and be telling people what they're seeing. And we were coming down the coastal road going to Tel Aviv to catch the plane the next morning. And I was standing at the front of the bus and I was talking about, you know, look to the left, look to the right. And uh, to the right on the, on the, on the seashore is, was the only golf course, Ron, you would have loved it, the only golf course in Israel at the time. Now, maybe they've got another one now, but that was the only golf course. And I can remember telling people, that, look to your right, here's the only golf course in Israel. Next morning at the airport, got the newspaper, opened the newspaper, and uh, that evening after we had passed the golf course, a group of Arabs, Arabs jumped out of the, the, uh, the grass and machine gunned another tour bus and killed about 20 tourists. And it would have been me if it had been two hours uh, earlier. Uh, because they jumped out right at this, right there at the golf course. They jumped out of the woods, the, not all woods, but the high grass and the, uh, just tore up the front of the buses and jumped on the bus and machine gunned most of the people on the bus. Uh, very, can be, can be, and was a very dangerous place, but it's God's land. Now watch this. Go forth from your country, your relatives, to the land that I will show you. That'll be the Holy Land. And I will make you a great nation, not in terms of size, but in terms of influence. They're still today a small group. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, the one who curses you, uh-oh, I will curse. The nations during World War II who had cursed the Jews the most, Germany, Russia, Poland, are the nations that lost the most people during World War II. The nations that had leaned in positiveness toward the Jewish people were more spared, and I have to use that uh, lightly, but that still is true, more, more spared, if you will, the, the Dutch, the Dutch people, the English, they turned toward the Jewish people as World War II began, and they were more spared. Yes, they, had, uh, they were hurt during World War II, but they were more spared. So we've got three key words here, land, seed, our nation, and blessing. Now, there are three other words that come forth that form the Abrahamic Covenant that explain or describe the Abrahamic Covenant. And that is, this covenant is eternal, it is literal, and it is unconditional. Look at uh, verse, um, we haven't finished verse 3. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But look at chapter 13, verse 15. Uh, well, look at, look at verse 14. 13, 14, we find that this promise is a literal promise. You can't read Genesis and not understand that it's, it's literal. This is not a figurative or spiritualized promise. It's a literal promise. 13, 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot was separated from him, his nephew, now lift up your eyes from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward, westward. <laughs> Do a 360. And he's describing the land. This is your land and your children's land. It's a literal promise. And as you go on through Genesis, in these early chapters of Genesis, over and over and over again, this land, it's a literal land. 
This is not a figurative idea. It's a literal idea. The fifth word is that the covenant is eternal. Look at 13.15. 13.15. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Forever. There's the eternalness. Forever. And that's repeated over and over again in the, in the chapters that will follow. It is your land, your children's land, forever, forever, forever. It belongs to them. That's why, what, yesterday or day before or whenever, Netanyahu is sitting there with uh, President Obama. <laughs> uh, the land belongs to them. They're not going to give it up. Now, the Jewish people are partly blinded. By the way, do you know what Netanyahu is going to start the next few few weeks? Do I know what he's going to start? What? A Bible class in his office. Netanyahu, Prime Minister, is going to start a Bible class after Ben-Gurion, who was the first Prime Minister who had a Bible class in his office. And there are photographs of Ben-Gurion in his office with the New Testament sitting on his desk. God is doing something with his people. And he said, he said, I'm going to be doing what, what uh, 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 Ben-Gurion did. He made that statement. How many pastors are telling their people in Clifton this? Now watch. Zero. <laughs> I'll just bet you. Zero. They're shortchanging their people to understand what's going on there now with what the Bible says, what's happening with God's promises to the Jewish people. <clears throat> and uh, and by the way, we take a, we take a, 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 a Christian Jewish magazine over and over again, uh, they're having conferences of uh, Jewish pastors in Israel and young people gathering for conferences, Christian, Jewish, young people. Never happened before except the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years. 20 years is stretching it. Probably 10 or 15 years. God is moving with the hearts of this, of this people. Now, how far will it go? How long will it take? Uh, we, we believe in the rapture of the church. And remember, the rapture is to get us out of here because God is furious with the nations. He's going to bring a judgment against the nations. And uh, He's going to spare the church. And so the church will be gotten out of here before the wrath falls upon the nations. It's a purging on Israel. And it will be a judgment upon the nations. The seven-year period of, of the, the wrath of God. And the church will be taken out so that God can do what He plans to do to cleanse and to bring a judgment upon, uh, upon the nations upon the world. The covenant is unconditional. And there's a perfect illustration of that in chapter 15 of Genesis. Go to chapter 15. And unconditional, let me tell you what we mean by unconditional. By unconditional, we mean that God is doing it all. It's not conditioned. It is not conditioned on something that the Jewish people will do. The, the covenant is there. God is going to fulfill it. Now, they won't be like zombies. Of course, they're going to be touched and they're, they're, uh, the, the, there will be a, a, an expression of faith and trust. But it is God who will unconditionally keep this covenant going until it's, it's, it's fulfilled. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Perfect illustration. After these things, the word of the Lord came to, to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram, 
uh, he came to him in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Now, remember, he has no children. And he says, you know, what, what are you going to give me? I don't have any children. I'm barren. I, or I'm impotent. And my, my wife's barren. What are you going to give us? I have, I'm childless. I'm childless. Now, by the way, he is, he's a, a wealthy man. He's moving around the land with probably a thousand people. He has 300 men who can bear arms. So if you count their, their wives or their children and, and younger and older uh, uh, servants, probably easy, a thousand people. He is a very influential man there in the land. And he's placid in the sense that the Canaanites in the land uh, know that, hey, he's not, he's not here to, to be after us. We don't know all that his God is doing with him. But they were not fearful of Abraham, apparently. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? He says, I'm childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That's his chief servant. That's his chief servant. Now here was the rule. The rule was if the master died and he had no children, then his, his heritage, inheritance would go to his chief servant. And Eleazar is his chief servant. So Eleazar would get everything because there's no children yet in the family. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man, Eleazar, his chief steward, will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. Uh, it's stronger in the Hebrew, your own sex organs actually. He will be your heir. And he took him outside, outside the tent, and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Could you count all the stars in heaven? No, neither could Abram. He couldn't count them all. And he, he may have started and tried and looked on the horizon. He's trying to count them all. And he, there's no way he's going to count them all. And then here is where he has this trust. This is the key verse coming up. Then he believed in the Lord, and God reckoned this belief to him. Imputed, and Sunday morning we talk about imputation, imputed to him as righteousness. And he said to him, keep reading, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? How shall I, shall I know? I mean, now notice what he's done. Uh, he's human like us. Give me a sign. <laughs> Give me a sign. I mean, I've been going through the land. I've been mean, blessed materially. A lot of servants, a lot of, a lot of cattle and sheep and so forth. But give me a sign how I know that I'm going to possess this land. And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and by the way, Abram knew what God was going to do. He knew that he was going to cut. The expression is to not make a covenant, but to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. And in those days, when two men were making a contract, when we say covenant, we mean a contract. Now, now watch this. They would take animals and cut them in half, lay them in rows, and watch. And the two men would come together and walk between 
the pieces of animals, signifying that which is divided will be one. So he knew what God was going to do. He's going to take, the, take these animals and cut them in half. Now wait a minute. Is God going to walk with him between these animals, pieces of animals? Let's see. Then, verse 10, he brought all these things to him, to God, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he didn't cut up the little birds. The little birds were too small to, to cut up. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. I can see with a broom, you know, all right, birds, get away from, you know, get away from this. God's going to come down here and walk with me through the pieces of animals. He drove the, 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 uh, the birds of prey away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. He went into a, a slumber, uh, and, uh, almost had a, like a nightmare. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed or your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. And here God's talking about the, the sojourn in Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, Egypt. And afterwards they will come out of Egypt with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Another tribal people in the land were called the Amorites. And they had not reached a point yet of being as evil as they would be later. A terribly immoral people. And here God is saying, their sins have not filled up the cup yet. The Amorites. Not filled up the cup. And it came about, verse 17, when the sun was set, it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and, and this should probably better read from the Hebrew, a smoking oven, even, even a flaming torch that passed between these pieces of animals. Now, what's going on? Abram's asleep. I can see him on a tree, his head's down, he's maybe snoring, and, and suddenly it is God who passes through the pieces of animals. So all that was seen was a light. And probably the servant saw this. The servant said, what is that? This lamp or this light passed between the pieces of animals. This was the appearance of God. God appeared. Now watch. Abram was asleep. God said, go to sleep. I am going to make the covenant myself. That's how we look at it as unconditional. Abraham, you go to sleep because I'm not going to depend on your I'm not going to depend on your faithfulness. You go to sleep. The 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 uh, the light passed between these pieces. Now, do we know that's what happened? Look at verse 18. On that day, the Lord made or cut a covenant. The Lord cut a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, "I have given this land." from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. The outer perimeter of the land would go down to probably the Nile. Some think it's a, another little tributary, a, sh a shorter river, but it's another little tributary river or to the Nile all the way up to the river Euphrates. That's the outer 
perimeter of the land. That's the, the larger part of the land. So when I say the core of the land a while ago, I'm looking at the core of the Holy Land, but actually the extension of the land would go down toward Egypt up to the Euphrates River. That will constitute the kingdom when Christ returns. That is the outer core, the larger parameter of the land itself. But look at 18 again. <clears throat> On that day, God cut the covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I have given this land. I have given this land. Do you understand why the Jews are not going to give up the land? This comes from God. And by the way, more and more the Jews are beginning to say, hmm, it's from God. It's from God. It's from God. By the way, the Jewish people today, as I'm speaking, they honor more the Mosaic covenant, the law, than they do the Abrahamic covenant. The Jews don't talk very much about the Abrahamic covenant. And they're missing what God is, is, has really been doing with them through his promises to Abraham. The Jews have missed it. They love to amplify the law. And the law will not save them, of course. All right, uh, let's go to um, two things. Write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, we've already looked at it. The word Abraham means high father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Sarah's name is changed. Her name was Sarai, which meant little princess. Her name will be changed to Sarah, which means royal princess. So her name is changed because God is now going to do something more with them than anticipated. All right, go to chapter 16 of Genesis. 16, and let's start with verse 7. 16, 7. <clears throat> now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. This is, uh, this is, uh, 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 hello, this is, uh, hello, her name, Hagar. Hagar, thank you, Egyptian handmaiden Hagar. And Abraham will have sex with her, of course, and the little Ishmael will be, will be born to her and was born to her. The angel of the Lord found her because remember uh, Sarah said get rid of her. Get rid of her. She's got the child now. She has a child. And Sarah was, was uh, jealous. And Abram drove her out of the camp. Just out to the wilderness. Just, just got rid of her. So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Uh, by the way, God doesn't ask questions because He doesn't know something. He does it to pull something out of people. And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. God's going to bless little Ishmael. But I'm going to get this straight right now. The covenant will not be passed to Ishmael. It's going to be passed to Isaac later, who is the true son that God intended to Sarai. So the, the covenant will not come to Ishmael, but God will still bless him. He's, in a certain sense, he's a little innocent kid. Um, I'll greatly multiply your descendants, that is Hagar, that's through uh, your, your child, uh, Abraham's, Abraham's child as well, uh, who will be Ishmael. Uh, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You'll call his name Ishmael. 
which means God has heard, God has heard, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction, and he will be he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. That's why the, the standing joke is uh, it takes uh, 16 uh, Arabs <laughs> to try to defeat one, uh, one Jew uh, uh, soldier because they're, they're just not up to it. They're too, they're too erratic, and that's, that is true. And he'll be a wild man, a donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of his brothers. Please note that. He's going to go east. That would be present-day Jordan. Now watch this. So will the illegitimate children of Lot and his daughters. They are going to be sent east. You get the picture? And so will Keturah's sons. Who's Keturah? She is Abraham's wife when Sarah died. Her children will go east, 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 east. And that's why the majority of the Arabs come from the east and there is a tension between the Arabs and the Jews. They say, hey, this land belongs to us, to our father Abraham. No, it does not. The covenant is given to Isaac and his descendants, not Ishmael and his descendants, or Keturah's sons, okay, or the sons of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, who go east and go east and go east, it is this covenant is given to Isaac and not to those sons who go east, Jordan and even further. Okay? That's why we've got this war and this tension. And by the way, I've never heard an Arab Christian ever say anything good about the Jews. And they should. They should know this and rejoice for the Jews. An Arab Christian, but they do not do it. There is an inner hatred even between an Arab Christian who should know better, should have a different attitude about some of these things, but they do not. They do not. And by the way, I would never go again to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is an, is an, is an Arab Christian town. And the last time I went there, my car was all stoned. They hate Americans now. Uh, and then they were making money from us before going into Bethlehem and buying the trinkets and uh, now the hatred is so is so great so great uh, because they haven't read their Bible and say you know what we have to acquiesce to what God is doing with the Jewish people no matter how we feel about it emotionally uh, what is God doing with the Jewish people the last time I went there I did a Yui because the little Arab kids, they saw the rent car and they were tossing stones at me and I said, I'm getting out of here. I'm not coming back to Bethlehem anymore. I'm, I'm leaving. <clears throat> they can't stand the Jewish people. Uh, all right, keep going. Let's keep, keep, keep looking at uh, the passage. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, look at verse 13. Then she called the name of the, the Lord who had spoken to her, you are God who sees... For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? She saw the Lord through the angel of Jehovah. Now who was that? It wasn't God the Father. It would be God the Son. The angel of Jehovah spoke to her. The Lord spoke to her. 
She understood this. Therefore, the well where she was was called Beer Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. God. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm all I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you. There it comes again. It's not going to be little Ishmael. Now, by the way, how was Abraham looking at Ishmael? He was jumping up and down. He finally had a kid. Not through his wife. He tried to help God out. He went into to Hagar and, uh, and uh, she, she became pregnant. And Abraham is saying, oh, in fact, he was, you don't want to he's going to tell God. He's going to tell God, oh, I've got Ishmael. Isn't that good enough? Even though I tried to help you out, God, and didn't believe the miracle you're about to perform with Sarah and me, with Sarah and me, and he was jumping up and down because he had little Ishmael. The birth of the Jewish people, now watch this if you don't get anything else tonight. The birth of the Jewish people is a miracle. The birth of Isaac through Sarah is a miracle. Is a miracle. So God said, I bore this people through Abraham as a miracle. As a miracle. They were both too old to have children. It's a miracle. All right. Walk before me, be blameless. I'll establish my covenant between me and you. I'll multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. Even those, those crazy Christians down in Clifton. No longer shall your name be called Abram, High Father. Your name will be Abraham, Father of a multitude. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. He's our father, spiritually speaking, by faith and because of faith. And can you imagine the German Jews, the German, the German Christians? And I'm not sure how many there were in Germany before World War II. How they turn against. The Jewish people and the Jewish people were their brothers through Abraham. That is, if they were true believers. If the Germans in Germany were true believers, and there were, there weren't very many, but if they were, they were turning against their brothers, the Jews, and their spiritual father, Abraham. And boy, did God get hacked. And 20 to 40 million Germans died. I was watching a documentary this afternoon on, on uh, the firebombing of some of the cities. And one of the cities, I think, was Dresden. The, the estimation was that Dresden lost between 40,000 Germans by being firebombed, up to 250,000 Germans when we firebombed it during World War II. Boy, God said, I'm, listen, I'm taking you out of here. <laughs> You turn against my people and don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself and say, well, just a few Germans that were, you know, bad against the Jews or uh uh. When you see the documentaries of everybody, thousands, thousands, one congregation of Jews before the war started, a half a million 
Zeke Heiling to Hitler. You had to you had to hunt hard to find a German who had anything good to do with a Jew. And boy, did God bring a price against them, cause them, cause them to pay a price. The same with the Polish. Did you know after the war, Poland had almost no Jews. Today, I think it's like a hundred Jews in Poland today. That's about it. Because the, the Catholic Jews in Poland, the, Catholic, the Catholics in Poland turned against the Jews like crazy. And so did the Russians. By the way, the Russians pulled back a little. After they had so tormented the Jewish people, they kind of pulled back and, and, and took their torment away just a little uh, after, after World War II. And they lost like 40 million or more people during the war. World War II is about the Jews. And the Germans said that. I got a book in, the, in, 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 the, in that case over there where the Jews said, and Hitler said, this war is about the Jews. World War II is about the Jews. How can we escape all this theologically? How can we theologically escape this? But there's not a church in Clifton giving you this but this one right here. No one else is teaching this. How can people skip this? How can they go past this? You'll be a father of a multitude of nations. A father of a multitude of nations. Let's stop right here and take a break and we'll, we'll pick up from here when we come back. <clears throat>